You are listening to Veterinary Mental Health, Turning the Stethoscope Around, Episode 15, presented by Thoughtful Life Counseling. Welcome to the podcast. I am Taylor Miller, a veterinarian and a licensed professional counseling intern. Mental health and work-life balance are critical issues for veterinary professionals. While not intended as a substitute for individual counseling, this podcast seeks to address many of the mental health concerns common to members of our profession. Hello all and welcome to week 15. I find it incredibly ironic that this week, the topic of which is perfectionism and mental health, I find myself in a situation where I have no more time left to try to record later, but there's a very large windstorm going on outside. And as long as it's steady, we don't typically hear noise in here, but any gusts kind of whistle through my windows. So I apologize if you hear wind sounds and if it's distracting, but I cannot be perfect in this episode. I'm hoping actually that the software that I put my final product through will scrub it out. But by then, if it doesn't, it'll be too late to do anything differently. So may I present to you an imperfect recording of my perfectionism podcast. What is perfectionism? I feel like it's a term that is in common enough use that we all have a pretty good idea of what it is. But for the sake of this podcast, and in order to be very clear, the definition we'll be working with is the setting of incredibly high to impossible standards of performance. And this performance can be across multiple domains of your life. So work performance is often where we think of it, but it can also be relationships, appearance or athleticism, parenting or housekeeping. Any area of your life that you devote time and energy to can be subject to perfectionism. Like most personality constructs, it exists on a spectrum. So the strength of your perfectionistic tendencies may vary with your area of life, or you may only have one area that is strongly perfectionistic, or one area where you have some vague or minor perfectionistic tendencies. It is also important to remember that not all perfectionism is detrimental. When it's talked about, it's usually talked about in its maladaptive form, but there is also an adaptive form of perfectionism, which we will get to. Maladaptive perfectionism is the combination of incredibly high standards and harsh self-criticism and a sense of failure when those standards cannot be achieved. And when you're in that state, you continually look for evidence to support the notion that your efforts are never good enough. Anything that we feel strongly about, whether that feeling is good or bad, we often make into a self-fulfilling prophecy because we notice the evidence that supports it, and we dismiss or miss entirely the evidence that would run counter to our assumption. Perfectionism in its maladaptive form has been associated with depression, lower self-esteem, an increased susceptibility and vulnerability to stress, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and even suicide risk. Adaptive perfectionism, on the other hand, is about having high standards for oneself and using them as inspiration, such that it is possible to feel satisfaction in your work even when it falls short of the predetermined ideal. Individuals with adaptive perfectionism are more likely to focus on their strengths and perceive their strivings as exciting challenges. They also have higher levels of conscientiousness and increased levels of hope and lower levels of depression. 
As we are most concerned with ways to improve our well-being, we will be focusing on maladaptive perfectionism, which from here on forward, I will shorten to perfectionism. So one of the first things we're going to discuss is the three different dimensions of perfectionism. These are self-oriented perfectionism, other-oriented perfectionism, and socially prescribed perfectionism. When we are talking about perfectionism in general, when you hear that term tossed around, most often what is being discussed is self-oriented perfectionism which is the pressure a person puts on themselves to achieve unrealistic and impossible standards. A thought pattern consistent with this type of perfectionism is the inclusion of the word should when you are thinking about a task you are going to complete. I should be able to do this. I should be able to accomplish this task. I should be able to accomplish it in this time frame, etc., etc. I had a a wonderful mentor who kept reminding me, because this word crops up in my language more often than I would like. And one day she just looked at me and she said, Taylor, don't shit all over yourself. And that has stuck in my head. And I love it because it's a very emphatic reminder that should is often something we do to ourselves rather than being something that is objectively necessary. So think about that. If you hear that word cropping up in your language, just check yourself and notice, should you really be able to do these things? Or is this a perfectionistic view that you're aspiring to? All right, so that is the self-oriented and it's the most self-explanatory. Other-oriented perfectionism is what we expect of others. And this one is often the result of externalizing pressure we ourselves feel. So you may have a combination of the two. You may be self-oriented and other-oriented. But this type of perfectionism manifests as inflexibility with others or criticism of others. And it can come across as arrogance. People who experience other orientation have a hard time delegating because they don't trust others to complete a task to their standards or or their satisfaction. A common phrase for other-oriented perfectionists would be, if you want it done right, do it yourself. This phrase often comes up in context of somebody who is displaying a, a strong work ethic, and this phrase will come up, and its implication is that whoever is doing the working is doing a good job. But it can also mean that you're unwilling to take the time to train somebody else to do something to your standards, or it might mean that your standards are unreasonable for the situation. In the personal realm, other-oriented perfectionism can be associated with an intense fear of being let down by those people who are closest to you. If you're worried about other people disappointing you and you need those perfect relationships, you're going to look for evidence and find evidence of disappointment and you'll end up having that same feedback loop. If you look for it, you'll find it. If you find it, then you make decisions based on this imbalanced perception of what's going on, which in turn will likely lead to a further worsening of the relationship. The last dimension is socially prescribed perfectionism. And this dimension is different in that we feel that the high expectations are set by others on our behalf and the consequences of failure to meet the impossible standards of others is disapproval, rejection, criticism, disappointment, terror at being laughed at. And when we feel we're at the mercy of the expectations of others, 
And when we have the experience of being disapproved of or rejected or of being criticized, mistakes become very scary. It filters into all aspects of your behavior and your thoughts if you're afraid of making a mistake. This dimension is associated with loneliness and shyness, depression, social anxiety, and it can also lead to anger and resentment if you feel it is unfair that you have these expectations put upon you. When I read about this particular dimension, my mind jumped to the nature of medicine, right? Everyone expects that we can solve all medical problems, make no mistakes, and have a 0% failure rate because it's unacceptable to lose even a single patient. That is an ideal and it's a wonderful ideal, but we all know that it's entirely unrealistic. It is impossible to practice medicine without making a mistake and without having a loss. So this is the area that that our minds jump to. But again, I urge you not to forget some of these other categories and think about how society pressures us to achieve unrealistic or impossible standards. These expectations can come in the form of what our body shape or size should be, what our fitness level should be. There's a lot of conversation about how we are supposed to parent and what success looks like in the parenting world. I'm laughing because my my four-year-old son has recently discovered the joys of shocking his parents with a curse word. And I realize I shouldn't find it hilarious, but I kind of do. Behavior or self-presentation is one of the more insidious ones, partially because it is so deeply embedded in our society. For instance, men are supposed to be stoic and they're supposed to be able to control all of their emotions. I hope that we're moving past this as a society, but it's still there. For women, there's a similar pressure to be likable and to be pleasant. Depending on where you are and the people that you grew up amongst, there may be differing levels of expectation in this particular dimension. But understanding your perfectionist tendencies in these terms might help you to feel a reduction in pressure. And I would love for that to be true. Because when we're talking about suicide, this dimension is the one that has the most influence on suicide. If you feel as though you must have a perfect self-presentation, so you must always be in control, professional, pleasant, you know, whatever those adjectives are, and you don't feel like you have any leeway to express weakness and I'm saying weakness with air quotes over here, then you end up feeling very isolated and hopelessness can set in. And hopelessness is one of the big risk factors of suicide. If there's no hope, there's no reason to try. Given what we know about suicide rates in our profession, this is an area to examine closely both for yourself and for friends in whom you might notice perfectionist tendencies. So on a daily basis, what does perfectionism look like? One of the overarching characteristics is that perfectionism is time-consuming. As I go through this list, consider how much time, how much added time each of these behaviors consumes. One, perfectionism is excessive organization and list-making. In people whose perfectionism is adaptive, this can actually be a strength. For those with maladaptive perfectionism, it can be an avoidance strategy, and we'll talk more about avoidance a little bit later. Perfectionism can sometimes manifest as difficulty in making decisions or moving forward. Rumination is a characteristic of perfectionism. 
For other-oriented perfectionists, correcting others or trying to alter their behavior or ideas, or a failure to delegate, as we mentioned before. And this can either be in the work environment or it can be something as simple as not trusting a family member to do the grocery shopping. Perfectionistic individuals can be overly cautious or thorough in tasks, and this can be true for big projects or something as small as giving overly detailed driving directions to somebody or arriving at an appointment half an hour in advance to be absolutely certain that you're not late. Perfectionists will sometimes redo tasks two, three, four, five times in an attempt to improve upon them. And one of the issues here is that each time one redoes the task, there is improvement, but the time devoted to the degree of improvement that you were able to achieve is likely not worth it. And that's what needs to be focused on. Agonizing over details is very characteristic of perfectionist checking and rechecking. So not being willing to declare something as a finished product, because there's probably something that could be done better. There's probably something that could be adjusted, even by millimeters. A tendency to keep problems to yourself. This is referring us back to the emotional perfectionism. And shame. So feeling ashamed of those areas in which you are unable to meet your goals or your standards. Avoidance is big. And this is one aspect that you've probably heard about the idea that procrastination is often a perfectionistic trait, not necessarily an indication of laziness. Avoidance of tasks both allows you to delay to the point that poor performance can be attributed to lack of time rather than a lack of ability. So it gives you an out if you don't have the type of finished product you're looking for. Or you could truly intend to do a good job, but you don't want to start until the conditions are just perfect. And the whole point of this podcast is that perfect is unrealistic. So it becomes an out rather than a good strategy. Avoidance also comes into play when you avoid situations in which you might display your imperfections. So not going to the beach or to the pool because you'd have to wear a swimsuit and show that you're not perfectly in shape. Or you don't want to join in a lunchtime frisbee game because you're unskilled and you don't want to demonstrate that. Similarly, a perfectionist may be more prone to giving up easily or too soon. If it becomes clear that you will not be able to perform perfectly, you might as well not put in the work and you might as well just quit right now. And then... I bet you didn't think I could tie in sleep to this podcast, but I did. I found an article that shows that there are characteristics common to perfectionist, concern over mistakes, doubts about actions, that are positively correlated with insomnia severity. So I feel very proud about being able to tie in sleep. And once again, I get to get up on my soapbox and emphasize that sleep is critical. Okay, crawling down off my soapbox. So these are the behaviors that one finds typical of perfectionists. One of the more frustrating elements of perfectionism is the paradox that the desire to achieve itself becomes a barrier to that achievement through procrastination or through avoidance of situations where failure is a possibility. And it reduces our opportunity to improve our skills or to acquire new ones. So it's this terrible feedback loop. And it prevents you from enjoying the successes that you do have because you wonder if it's a fluke or you assume that the bar wasn't set high enough 
or you smile, say that was great, take one breath and decide that next time you need to aim even higher. So what can we do about our maladaptive perfectionistic tendencies? One is to recognize perfectionistic beliefs, assumptions, and behaviors. And that's one of the biggest things that I hope you take away from today's talk is paying attention to when this is happening for you and where and what aspects of your life you may be um, a perfectionist. What self-imposed rules do you follow? And then what standards of performance are self-imposed or seem to be imposed by others? And one thing that's critical to point out here is that socially imposed perfectionism is often in the eye of the beholder. While societal messages may point us towards that socially imposed standard of perfection, often it's our interpretation of society that is most at fault. So it's critical to ask yourself what standards of performance are being imposed on me and then check yourself. Is it true? Who is actually going to watch and make sure you meet those standards? Who is judging you? Who do you think is judging you? And are they really? So those are other things to take into consideration. And then assessing perfectionist tendencies as adaptive or maladaptive. As we mentioned in the beginning, not all perfectionism is harmful to you. So how do you feel when you're trying to meet the high standards? Are you excited and enthusiastic and energized? Or are you intimidated and avoidant and procrastinating? And then how do you feel if you fail to meet a preset standard? Are you inspired to give the next try a bigger go? Or do you feel shame and guilt and self-disgust? And then taking time to recognize and acknowledge the detrimental effects of perfectionistic thinking and behavior, its impact on your mental health, its impact on your relationships, and the time and resource investment that is necessary to make these perfectionistic attempts. What does that look like? And what could you be doing with that time and those resources to improve your well-being? So after you've identified areas in which perfectionism is negatively impacting your well-being, the next step is to try to change those overinflated expectations that you have for yourself or that you feel others have for you. What would be a more achievable approach? And unless you are an other-oriented perfectionist, what would you expect of a competent best friend? If you're trying to adjust your own standards, what would you expect a competent best friend to be able to do? And you're more likely to set a realistic goal for them than you are for yourself. So that can be one way to help you check yourself. And then you can also practice perspective taking. So put yourself in that compassionate best friend's shoes. How would they view your situation? What goals would they set for you? And then you can also ask yourself, if you're in the moment, will what I'm doing right now, will what I'm striving for matter in a day, in a week, in a year? Sometimes asking yourself those time-oriented questions can put things in perspective and maybe help you let go of an unrealistic expectation that you're working on. And finally, self-compassion and mindfulness. Two of my favorite things I got to incorporate today, sleep and mindfulness. All right. Felt like that just flew by. And I haven't been hearing a whole lot of wind whistling, so (laughs) we may have escaped the worst of it. Today's handout references two links. The first link is so obnoxiously long, I won't type the link out on the paper, but it will be available to click on both on my show notes page as well as on my website. But it takes you to a self-assessment form that can help you evaluate all three dimensions of perfectionism. 
And it's also got a great summary of each of the three dimensions. So just a great handout to have. The second link takes you to a completely wonderful, fantastic self-study program composed of nine modules on perfectionism. It's produced by a clinical psychology center in Western Australia. It's completely free to download, and I, I scanned through all of them, and it looks like really wonderful work. So if this is an area you feel you could benefit in, I strongly recommend you check it out. I did borrow one of their exercises that I will put on my handout, just so you have it in front of you, if you decide not to pursue their, their entire program. It's an exercise that I feel will complement our values exercise nicely because it asks you to map out the elements that determine your self-worth. And what I would be interested in is after determining what contributes to your self-worth, comparing that to your prioritized values and seeing whether the two match up. And if they don't, that may be an indication that you've got a degree of maladaptive perfectionist tendencies that are forcing you to spend time on things and invest in things that don't truly match up with your values, but which you feel compelled to invest in. All right, that is it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. And as always, it has been a pleasure. This has been a mental health moment brought to you by Thoughtful Life Counseling. If you found today's episode helpful, please subscribe to the podcast and consider leaving me a review. You can download the handout mentioned in today's episode by visiting my website at thoughtfullifecounseling.com. To have the handouts delivered by email, please sign up to receive my twice-monthly newsletter. If you have topic requests, questions, or comments, please contact me through my website or any one of my social media platforms. Take care of yourself and tune in next week for a discussion about anxiety.